Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Before we get into the remarks today, just let me take a minute and talk to the dads in the room and um, just discuss this idea that there's a unique role that comes along for us. You know, when we do Mother's Day and we talk about moms, it's, not, it's a non-negotiable, we get it you know, how irreplaceable moms are. I mean, you just do so much. You're involved in so many things. You take care of all the details. I mean, could go on and on and on about the moms. And so um, the gifts that moms give us are are tremendous. When it comes to dads, there's a different kind of thing. Kyle alluded to it a little bit. I I told him in the first service, I remember when when we had Bennett, my firstborn, um, he was born by cesarean section and I remember when they took him they they gave him to me and put him in my arms and um you know they were tending to Myra and it had been kind of a very difficult day for her and and um so there were a few minutes there where as they were working on Myra that I was holding Bennett and and um it was a sterile operating room kind of loud we had an anesthesiologist that brought in Dire Straits. Bennett was born to the walk of life, which was kind of cool. Um, so Dire Straits was playing. I remember that. And, and the room was cold. I remember that. And they had him all bundled up, and they put him in my arms, and his little eyes were just darting all over the room. And there was a moment there where it just it all came kind of on me at the same time. Um, and I felt it for both Myra and me, but but as a dad, I felt it. Just this, and this is one of the differences between men and women. I talk about this whenever we do pre-marriage counseling, that, that usually when you say the word security to a woman, it's usually short-term security. Um, they want to know if their babies are safe. They want to know if there's going to be food on the table. You know, is there money in the bank tomorrow for me to buy groceries and things? They're, they're, typically, women think about safety in terms of a short-term thing, and men are usually thinking about security in a in a longer term thing. Well, that kind of was true in that moment for me anyway. As I was started thinking about, I mean, this kid's barely been born, and I'm already thinking about, okay, you're going to have to educate him. He's going to have to go off to college. You're going to have to pay for that. You you know, it's going to be expensive, and and just all the weight. I remember thinking, if he if this little fellow lives or dies, it's because Myra and I will provide for him and and give him food and make sure he's got a roof over his head and he's he's clothed and he's not cold and I just remember um, a great Kyle talked about the 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 sense of responsibility that you have when you when you have kids Um, and and so I guess the point that I'm trying to make is dad I know what you know and something that we we have a very difficult time expressing okay ladies one of the things that you know about the the man in your life is he's probably not real good at saying what I'm going to try to say and I'm probably not much better at it than he is but there are there are unique pressures that come with being a dad Um, there's just a certain kind of responsibility that you feel and if I I think I could say this for most of the men in the room if not all of us there is a feeling of you just don't ever quite, you, you just don't ever feel like you, you satisfy yourself in terms of whether or not you're a good dad. Does that make sense? This, this sense of, man, I want to be a better dad, and I just don't know how. Um, I want to be a better dad, but I, I just, it, it just, I feel like I'm falling short. And so, Dad, um, 
clue into me for just a minute long enough for me to be able to say this to you God's crazy about you he is absolutely crazy about you he's watching you raise your kids um, he's blessing you every step of the way any feelings you've got like that take them to him and hear God say to you I'm proud of you and and you can do it and and uh, it's going to be okay and you just keep your eyes on me and things are going to be fine so dads we do appreciate you we care deeply about you and uh, I hope you have a really good Father's Day I hope that um, I hope that the the missus has got you a nice cake or something like that you know kind of planned I said that in the first service and I saw people getting nudged so I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to say that but I hope your day's a good day let's just leave it at that um, back to the clip, you know, when, when you first took your first dive off the high dive, or maybe for you it wasn't even a high dive, maybe for you it was just the first time you dove into a pool somewhere, it, it took a certain level of courage, it took a, a little bit for you to get your body and soul kind of on board with the idea of I'm going to allow myself to go off balance and kind of hurl myself into the water there's this point of no return where you can't take it back and, and you, it takes something to be engaged in that process. Jesus has invited us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in other words, he's called us to be all in. Uh, another way of putting it is to go all out. We've been using the expression leap. I've been trying to keep this frog in, in your mind, this, this frog that, you know, he, he's not even really sure what's out there as he leaves the ground he kind of knows what he's leaving he doesn't necessarily know what he's going to land on uh, i don't know how good uh, eyesight a frog has but i don't know it's real real good and and certainly if they can some of those frogs can jump you know several feet you can't tell me they can see what's happening two or three feet away from them and so when they leap it's kind of like a it's a faith venture for them to do that so that's why the frog is on every slide i'm trying to keep him in front of you um we're looking at a guy named abram he got his name changed last week his name now is abraham and uh, Abraham has these great moments of obedience where it looked like he was really living um, out of the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he has these massive failures. He has these areas of life that he goes through where it's not good. I mean, he makes bad decisions. It just doesn't go well. And, and he messes up, which means he's a lot like me and probably a lot like you. He's, he's human. He's he goes through periods of doubt. He goes through times when, it, when he makes bad choices and things don't go all that great for him. And we've watched Abraham allow things like fear to creep into his life to kind of cause him to climb up the ladder and then back down again. Using that metaphor of the, the high dive, climbing up the ladder to the high dive, surveying the situation and going, you know what, I'm too afraid to do that. I'm going to come back down. And so Abraham has done that more than once in his life. Last week, instead of depending on God he tried to act independently and we saw him pay a huge price not just Abraham but what we said last week was the whole world is paying the price of some of the disobedience of Abraham when you look at uh, some of what goes on in the Middle East you can just trace that all the way back to to uh, one of Abraham's children named Ishmael and and um, it, it was trouble not just for Abraham's family but it was trouble for the rest of the world and we see the consequences of it today and what we're seeing is that while Abraham has been very up and down and unsteady God has been very steady very faithful God has been you know who God always is who keeps his promises over and over and over again and, and the main promise he's made to Abraham is that he will be the father of a great nation 
and that nation is going to come from a son that he is going to have with his wife Sarah now here's the here's the roadblock to that whole deal right there um, Abraham is approaching a hundred years old and Sarah is approaching 90 so things don't look real real good for them to be able to have this promise fulfilled it's going to take a miraculous thing and and between the time we left off last week and where we're picking up this week there's only about a year's time difference and, and in that year this pattern with Abraham will continue he will continue to go through this obedience followed by failure he'll climb the ladder only to climb back down again and uh, in this year's time he will be told again by God that he is going to have a son by his wife Sarah and they are told this news and then they both laugh about it you can imagine why they would do that and they say basically this is insane <laughs> look at us we're you know we're 90 and 100 years old we're not baby bearing you know age anymore and so there's no way we could ever ha have a child together so if you're here this morning and you're listening to that and you're saying oh this is the story we're going to hear this morning Brett come on I mean there's no way that that a 90 year old and a 100 year old can have a baby I hear you but I'm telling you uh, you aren't nearly as skeptical as Abraham and Sarah were okay they they weren't you know real they they weren't real convinced either they laughed about it when they heard it um, and once again Abraham is struggling in his faith he's trying to believe God that God will do what he says and promises he'll do and once again Abraham makes the mistake that he's made before you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the fact that Abraham's getting ready to go into Egypt and just before he goes into Egypt he looks at at, at his wife Sarah and he says um, babe you're smoking hot and if we go into Egypt with you looking like that they're going to kill me to get to you and we can't have that so instead of you telling them you're my wife let's tell them you're my sister well that's what they do they go into Egypt they start telling everybody that Sarai is Ab Abram's sister and some men that that know the king see her and they take her basically into the king's harem that's not you know we didn't get a response from Sarai in the whole deal but I'm sure it wasn't real real good it probably included an iron somewhere thrown at somebody but um, the amazing thing in all that is when they were going into Egypt that happened this happens again with Abraham I mean it's not like he he he, he made it guys have you ever made the same mistake twice your wife ever said something and you do something you shouldn't and, or you don't do it the right way and then you you, you think okay I've learned my lesson and you do that same thing same thing uh, I thought my microphone had fallen it hasn't and you make the same mistake twice he does this again with a, a king named Abimelech years later same thing looks at Sarai who's now 90 keep in mind and he says Sarah you're beautiful and if we you know if the king sees you and thinks you're my wife he's going to kill me and so you know we need to just tell that you're my sister instead and Abimelech sure enough takes Sarah into his harem remember Sarah is 90 and either Abimelech is desperate <laughs> and the pickings in the kingdom just aren't that great or Sarah really you need to be buying Sarah's beauty products one of the two things is, is happening in, in, the, in the story you know um, she's using some product that every lady probably would like to get their hands on she she still is able to attract the attention of kings at the age of 90 she's either still a knockout or the king is blind one or the other but but needless to say things don't go well when this happens and, and I don't know about you but I've had many lessons that I've had to learn more than once it's never pleasant a Abraham is the same way and so 
we pick up in a place today that is, is pretty happy, actually. Genesis 21. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 21. First book of the Bible, 21 chapters in. We start in a happy place, but we will soon transition to a place that is not real, real happy. Uh, we'll get there soon enough. There's no way that you trace the story of Abraham. And when I started this series, and some of you have been going to church for a long time, uh, realized where I was going, I'm sure you, you know exactly where this is all going to end up. That's where we're going to end up today. Um, the story that we're looking at today, I'm just going to be honest with you, it's a story that I am uncomfortable with. Now, that's not unusual. I could turn to a lot of stories in the Bible. I, there's plenty of those in the Bible, stories that I'm uncomfortable with. Stories that, that I don't necessarily, you know, it's, it, it just kind of bugs me a little bit to think about them. But the story we're looking at today, I really, really don't like. Now, when you're six years old or seven years old, and you, you know, and I'm in Miss Christian Sunday school class back at the First Christian Church, Campbellsburg, Kentucky, and and Miss um, Christian's got her flannel board out, you know, and she's telling me the story of Abraham and he's and, and Isaac, and and I'm watching all that as a six or seven year old. That's one thing, but as a father, I do not like this story. It, it's not a pleasant story, and we'll get there in a minute. But for now, let's start at Genesis 21. Genesis 21. Verse 1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And when it says there that the Lord was gracious to Sarah, that literally means he visited her. He paid attention to her. He, he, um, he's noticing her. Last week we learned a new, new name for God. It was El Roy. It was, the, it was the God who sees. It's the God who pays attention. Verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Verse 6, Sarah said God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me and she added who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children yet I have borne him a son in his old age and the name Isaac literally means he laughs and Sarah knew that this was going to be funny she knew that as she talked to her girlfriends that the, the thought and the idea of her nursing a little baby was going to be a funny thought they probably got tickled when they thought about little uh, Isaac in the arms of old Abraham and you know I don't know if they had strollers back then but if you imagine Abraham pushing somebody a little baby around in a stroller um, people are going to chuckle when they see stuff like that imagine the joy that Abraham and Sarah are experiencing after what is probably 70 years of infertility okay it's been a long time now some of you have gone through that that horror and that process and um, I don't mean to belittle that at all. It's, it's severe and it's hard for anybody to deal with. Um, but however long you've been dealing with it, they dealt with it for 70 or 75 years. Some of you know that pain. Some of you know how, how difficult and hard that is. Can you imagine the joy when they found out they were having a baby? There is a problem, however, and you'll remember back to our story, there's another boy living in the house where Abraham is. His name is Ishmael and his mother's name is uh, Hagar and so it's a very crowded house and things are not going well Sarah demands that Hagar and, and uh, Ishmael be kicked out of the house and so this stresses Abraham out verse 11 the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son 
But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. And all the ladies in the house just underline that and nudge their husbands right there. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's a very important verse. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It's through Isaac that the promise I gave you is going to come to fruition. It's through Isaac that you will be the father of a great nation. And then you come to chapter 22, and most commentators estimate that the time between chapter 21 and chapter 22, uh, and so this is a great place if you've got a pen in your hand to write the amount of time that lapsed between the two chapters, they estimated about 20 years. Okay, the difference between chapter 21 and verse 20 and chapter 22 is about 20 years. So picture in your mind Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac for 20 years, bonding, teaching, learning, growing together, laughing, discipline, play, all that uh, as, as uh, you know, all the stuff that goes with raising kids. And, and he is the focus of their attention and you know they probably were so happy and, and, and Isaac has been the cause probably of some healing between Abraham and Isaac because there were times that things didn't go so good and so God has kept his promise he's been good he's been faithful and there's no question that God has performed a miracle for this family and they're probably looking forward to the day that uh, Isaac gets married and he presents grandchildren to them and they get to spoil the grandchildren and some of you know what that's like and, and so that's probably what was going on that was probably the plan until you come to chapter 22 and chapter 22 comes rolling in like a bad storm like clouds that gather up over a city that are dark and ominous and it just kind of hangs there genesis 22 verse 1 sometime later god tested abraham he said to him abraham here i am he replied then god said take your son your only son isaac whom you love and go to the region of moriah sacrificed him there him there as a burnt offering on the on one of the mountains i will tell you about now you and i get the privilege of knowing the story and we know that this is a test okay if you grew up in church you've read this story a lot of times you know this is a test the word test means to prove it is it, it's it's the idea it's, it carries with it the idea of uh something being refined by fire like gold the way they refine gold is they heat it up the dross and all the impurities come to the top and they skim that off and it leaves the pure gold. And, and that's kind of the idea. It's like, it's like gold being put to the fire and, and Abraham's faith is being refined in the fire. This is the moment of finding out. Does Abraham love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? See, we have the benefit of knowing on the front end that this is a test, which means that God really doesn't have any intention of letting Abraham go through with this. But Abraham doesn't know that. That's why I don't like this story. I don't like this story as a dad. Um, when I was a kid and I didn't have kids, this was an interesting story, and it was one that I could have told you very easily because I've heard it lots of times growing up. Now that I have kids, the story isn't nearly as appealing to me. It's not a story I like to read or think about. I can tell you right now, test or no test, I'd fail this, okay? Give me an F. Just give me an F. How about this? God, no. I will not sacrifice one of my kids on an altar. No. I mean, if, if that's the test, 
You ever gone into a professor and they've told you that this is a really hard test and very few of you are going to pass and you just want to hand them the paperback and go just put the F on there now? That's kind of how I would feel about this. I'm a dad. This is a no-brainer for me. God, kill me. Put me on the altar. But I'm not sacrificing one of my kids. Listen, I love you. I love you. I'm not sacrificing one of my kids for you. And so I, you know, it bothers me. This story bothers me. It, it bothers me as a dad. It bothers me as a Christian, to be honest with you. The God I worship did this. Hadn't Abraham been through enough? He's telling Abraham to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. Let me explain to you what that was. When they would offer an animal as a burnt offering, they would cut it. They would cut its throat, slit it from ear to ear. They would drain out all the blood. They would then cut the animal up and arrange it on the altar, and then they would light the parts on fire. That's what Abraham is being commanded to do to his son. That's crazy to me. I hear that, and, and it just it seems out of God's character. It doesn't make sense. Now, this was common practice in Abraham's time. People sacrificed their, their toddlers, their infant children, to the god Molech all the time. They would, they would literally take them over their head and, and cast them into the fire. So this wasn't something new for the culture, but for God, this is just a, it's just, it just doesn't fit. And repeatedly in the Bible, God is going to talk about this whole thing with Molech, and he's going to say, look, that's not the kind of God I am. I don't ask you to do things like that. Um, so when you read this story with Abraham, it's like, you know, what's the deal here? Why, why is God doing this? What is the point of the exercise? <laughs> Can you imagine the wrestling that Abraham did that night? The interesting thing is that the Bible does not give us really any emotional response by Abraham. Perhaps that's because we can, we can guess what it would have been like. Uh, that night must have been awful. Um, that night, the, the night before Abraham is going to take Isaac out to do this, um, begins a series of what I want us to see this morning, three images that I want us to see uh, in this story that are um, it's just a, it, there's a foreshadowing that happens here. Here's God. Abraham has left everything for him. God has been faithful. He, you know, he, he, this is the God who's made promises and, and specifically said it's through Isaac that you're going to be the father of many nations. And now God is saying, I want you to kill this boy. How can God do this? How can God do this and keep his promises? In other words, and we talked about this last week, Abraham would say, my circumstances don't add up to what I believe is true about God. You ever been there? I'm sure Abraham would like to have pretended that he didn't hear God say what he said. I'm sure Abraham might have tried to pretend that it wasn't God who said it. Um, unlike you and I, the way God communicates to us, which is not, God had established a supernatural speaking relationship with Abraham. There was no question when Abraham heard God's voice that it was God speaking. Okay, so, um, you know, in this day and age, we have somebody that will think that, you know, some God spoke to them and told them to sacrifice their kids, and that, that's actually happened, you know, horribly. Um, but they, they haven't heard God's voice. God, this is a special thing between Abraham and God. And Abraham's left with a choice. Climb the ladder to the high dive, survey the height, and, and leap, or 
climb back down. Can you imagine how grueling that night was for Abraham? Agonizing. Sleep would not come. That night reminds me of a night that Jesus had the night before he died when he said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The Bible goes on to say, being in anguish, he prayed for uh, more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. I think the first image that I want you to see out of uh, Abraham's life and especially this night in Abraham's life, I want you to see Gethsemane. It's the image of Gethsemane. I think this was Abraham's Gethsemane. This was his dark night of the soul. You ever, you ever had a dark night of the soul? Or 60? <laughs> You ever had those nights when sleep won't come and you, you're worried about something, you're praying over something, or you're trying to pray over it and it's, it just feels like your prayer's bouncing off the ceiling? You ever had a dark night of the soul? That's what Abraham had here. It's a place of severe anguish and pain. That thing that you, you can't seem to see your way through. There's not a category in my mind for being able to do this with one of my kids. I, I can't even really, as a dad, I can't go there in my mind. It had to be one long night, and then morning came. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And now, as a father, I'm mad at Abraham. Abraham, what are you doing? How are you going to explain this to Sarah, who's waited 90 years for a son? She finally gets one. You're going to traipse off to this mountain and come back without her only son? You failed all these other tests along the way, Abraham. I mean, it's not like you've lived a stellar life, and it's not like you've nailed it every time. It's not like anybody is expecting perfection out of you. I mean... Why now do you decide to be obedient? Why now do you decide to get it right? Abraham, this would be a great time for you to get it wrong. Save your son. Just be disobedient. You failed at every turn. Why now when the stakes are so high would you follow through? You ever been to a place in your life where you know God is gracious, you know you're forgiven, but you just keep messing up? You know that God loves you and you know all that, but you're sick of failing. You're sick of being disobedient. You're, you ever get to the place where you just want the pattern of your life to change? You're sick of climbing down the ladder. I think that's exactly where Abraham is in this story. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you hear it? We will worship and then we will come back to you. It gives us a clue as to what Abraham is thinking in his mind. It tells us that he is confident in this. God has made a promise. He's made a promise through this boy. This boy is a walking, talking miracle. He is evidence of God's uh, reality in my life. I'm not sure why God's telling me to do this. I'm not sure how God's going to keep his promise about 
many nations, but Isaac is the proof that I need that God is who he says he is. And if God's telling me to do this, I'm going to do it. And Abraham believes that, and it's called faith. And now he's acting on that faith. Later in the book of Hebrews, the author gives us a window into what Abraham might have been thinking when he writes this. But by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. So, figuratively speaking, Isaac, Abraham receives Isaac back from the dead. Abraham is thinking to himself, God can raise the dead. Now, what's interesting about this is that that is a level of faith that I don't know how he ascended to when you consider that Abraham's never seen anybody raised from the dead. He's never, that's probably not even ever been a thought that's crossed his mind. He's had no, see, you and I, because of Jesus being in our life, even if you're not a Christian, you've grown up hearing about the resurrection of Jesus. So there's a category in your mind for the idea of resurrection. Whether you believe it or not, there's a category in your mind where you've heard the phrase raised from the dead. Abraham's never seen that. Abraham doesn't have any reason to believe that God is going to raise his son from the dead. Where that comes from had to be a God thing, but the few times that this even happened in the Bible, it happens after Abraham's life. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. See, Isaac was sharp enough to look around and say, hey, we, we, we're missing something. I mean, this whole trip is about a sacrifice. We don't have anything to sacrifice. Where's that going to come from? And that's the next snapshot that I want you to see. Isaac carries the wood for the sacrifice up the mountain. The second image I want you to see is, I think it reminds us of Jesus carrying the cross. John chapter 19, it says this, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. Jesus carried the cross beam, more than likely, of his cross, and it weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 pounds. Don't really know for sure, but fairly heavy piece of wood. It would have been extremely heavy. Uh, Jesus probably was not a huge guy. And he's carrying this cross beam after being flogged after being tortured after having his back laid wide open after having been sleep and water and food deprived then they thrust this heavy wooden beam on his back and say carry this up the hill and he struggled under the weight of that it was not easy and I'm sure more than once he fell to the ground and when he did the rough wood would dig into his flayed open back Eventually, he would not be able to carry it any further. Someone be, would be pressed into service to help him the rest of the way. And This scene of Isaac carrying the wood is a foreshadowing of Jesus one day carrying the cross. There's more foreshadowing in the story. We'll get to that in a minute. When Isaac was asked about the sacrifice, when Isaac asked about the sacrifice, and Abraham responds, God will provide, and God will provide a lamb. 
This isn't Abraham just trying to reassure his son uh, who's now trying to figure all this stuff out. I, I think this is Abraham exemplifying faith in God. God has always provided. God has always done what he said he would do. He's always been more than enough. He's always been El Shaddai, the provider, the sustainer, the competent one, the capable one. And he's telling Isaac, Isaac, God is more capable of figuring this out. He'll provide a way. And then he says, God himself will provide the lamb. We're supposed to think of somebody else at that point. John 1 says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, this picture of Abraham and Isaac walking up this mountain together is a foreshadowing of Jesus walking to his death the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world back to our story verse 9 when they reached the place God had told him about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar now I've got a son that's about would have been about Isaac's age he's been it's a year older I guess he's 21 um, he, I, some of you have seen him he plays guitar sometimes when he's in town he plays guitar and he plays violin he's the big boy over here he's usually got a big mess of growth of beard on him and he's something else <laughs> something else but, but you've seen him right I mean he's fairly stocky good sized strapping young lad can you see a hundred year old Brett trying to hold him down and strap him to a sacrifice well what are you doing dad well we're about to cut you up and light you on fire no you're not no you're not I, I read that and I'm like how does that work when they reached the place God had told them about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son and at this point I'm beyond my capacity to understand this story. Abraham is way deeper into this journey than I'll ever be on a journey like this with my son. I have no idea what's in his mind or heart. It's a level of faith I know nothing about. I don't know how a 120-year-old man holds down a 20-year-old strapping kid to put him on an altar. I don't know how Isaac, did Isaac, is Isaac like Jesus just saying, not my will, but your will be done? Is he a willing participant? I, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get this story. All I know is this had to have been horrible. And this is the ultimate moment. This whole series has led up to Abraham after a long history of climbing up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder, finally trusting God, finally loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't get to a moment like this any other way. This is a place, to get here, you've got to be all in. Abraham is finally all in. Abraham has leaped. And what happens when you finally let go? When you finally surrender and when you finally trust God? What happens? Do we find that God is trustworthy or not? Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. 
Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The word fear there means literally to acknowledge good intentions. That's what Abraham is doing. He's he's having faith. All along the way on this journey, you know, he's he's basically, I I have no idea why God's doing this. It makes no sense, but I've learned that God always keeps his promises. God is always faithful. God has good intentions. I'm not sure why or how, but I'm going to trust and I'm going all in because of what I believe about God to be true. And Abraham, again, is at a place at this level, I know nothing about this level of faith right here. That phrase, you, you, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish have everlasting life see for Abraham he is realizing once again God has kept his promise the the third image I want you to see is the image of resurrection this is a picture of the resurrection for three days Isaac has been as good as dead to Abraham for three days Abraham has thought I have no future relationship with my son he's about to be taken from me I'm, I'm going to be disconnected Luke 24 says the Son of Man must be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Look look at Abraham for a moment. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And we get another new name for God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. What will be provided? A substitute. Something or someone will be sacrificed in someone else's place. See, the whole point of the story is that God would provide a sacrifice, a substitute for the sacrifice. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus. Jesus is our substitute, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This story disturbs me as a parent that God would command Abraham to sacrifice his son. I've, I've known this, I was going to preach this, and, and I've not looked forward to it. I don't like, I told you, I don't like this story. I don't like thinking about it. I don't like talking about it. And I've been disturbed by this story. You know what really disgusts me, though? I haven't been nearly as disturbed by the fact that God would spare, would not even spare his own son for me. I've been worried about Abraham, but I haven't thought a whole lot about the fact that God gave Jesus. And I get disturbed when I think about God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. And Brett, what would you do if God asked you to sacrifice one of your kids that you love? And I, I don't like any of that, and that, that, that bothers me. But you know what? When I stop and think about the fact God did it, God didn't pull his hand back. God did it. He, he sacrificed his son. 
I would go so far as to say that this story is in the Bible to offend us. I think that's why it's here. I think it's here to disturb us, to provoke us. I think it's supposed to make us angry and throw our hands up in the air and say that doesn't make sense. This is not supposed to fit comfortably into our hearts. It's supposed to rock me to my core. And if it does, how much more should the story of Jesus being sacrificed rock me to my core? The story of Jesus should cause you and me sleepless nights. And yet I have the unbelievably terrible ability to go not just through one day, but through many days without ever thinking about the cross of Jesus. Without ever thinking about what God provided for me. We've been talking in this series about what it would look like to go all in for God, what it would look like to leap. But what we're learning here is really not what it looks like when, when we go all in for God, but what does it look like when God goes all in for me? When God leaps for me. The point of the story is not that you and I should work hard to have the kind of faith that Abraham has. The point of the story is that God is faithful to the point of giving his own son. The point of the story is that God is strong, that God keeps his promises. And because of that, we can have faith in the God who provides. I pray that many of us would have sleepless nights, <laughs> offended by his grace, disturbed by his love, wrecked by his mercy and overwhelmed by his faithfulness. I think we ought to just stay there for a while and dwell on just how much God loves you. Let's pray together. Father, just about the time as a dad, I start to get ticked off by this story. The twist comes, and I feel foolish. And I realize that you really weren't going to take Isaac that way and as excruciating as it had to have been for Abraham he seems to have had enough faith somehow some way to be able to do what you were asking him commanding him to do and I get really hung up on all that until I stop long enough to think that there was a sacrifice where you did not pull your hand back there was no voice out of heaven about the time they were piercing Jesus' hands saying, stop, don't do that. You let it happen. Jesus Christ went to a cross. He was nailed there for me. And God, what bothers me is that a lot of times I get a lot madder about what happened with Abraham than I do about what you did with Jesus.
keep us up at night. Father, your love is overwhelming. Your passion for us is at a level we can't comprehend. God, we're humble. Just humble when we see the lengths you would go to for us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his precious name we pray.